So let's read together. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. It says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. So Mary was chosen by God. Very clear. Right? And what we just read, he was with her, the angel said. Now, that may not have been the confusing part. If Mary was a good, proper, young Jewish girl like she was, then she knew scripture. She knew that who God was, and she knew that God's promises were true. That God's promise of, that he spoke to Moses and, and everybody before her time had come true. That God was with them. That was nothing new for her. What troubled her was the, the second statement that was made, is that God had found favor with her. Now, if you look at the word favor, it's a special honor, grace, and even acceptance. And this is what troubled her, because why would God choose Mary? I think that's what she understood, and that's what troubled her, so much so that it really agitated her. And I know a lot of the movies and things that we can watch in regards to the birth of Jesus and everything else really paints this nice, good, gentle picture of all that takes place. But I think the reality, if we, if we define the term of what troubled her, it really means agitated, very confused, even more than that, conflicted. So there was more of a really a troubled spirit in her about why God would choose her. She was young. She was a female. It didn't make sense in that day, in their culture, in their way of life, that God would find such favor in, in who she was. So who was she? She was from Nazareth. Again, that's probably why it troubled her a little bit, because as we read later on, when Jesus is choosing his disciples and he chooses Nathaniel, and Nathaniel even, when his brother Philip goes to him and says, we found the Messiah, and he's in Nazareth, or from Nazareth. And Nathaniel would speak the words, what good can come from Nazareth? So Nazareth was known as nothing. It, it, nothing was, was well known about it. It was this called a podunk little town that nobody really knew about, not popular, not big, not anything about it. It was just, it was, it was Nazareth. Nothing special about it. So why was she considered so special? 
This is the conflict. And I think this is where we can place ourselves in the story a little bit. Why would God choose us? What's so special about us? Might come from Lake Elsinore. What's good about Lake Elsinore? And don't you hear that today? In this surrounding area in the valley, Lake Elsinore is kind of like, ooh, Lake Elsinore. A lot of people want to pass through Lake Elsinore. It's just, it's well known. It's not a very popular town. It once was, maybe back in the day, but today, but you might think about, you know, yourself, why me? God, why do you want to use me? What's so good about me? But when God works in the realm of the infinite and the impossible, it's going to cause us some confusion because we live in the finite and uh, we just don't, we don't understand that, that realm that he works in. So it's going to cause us to question. And let me settle your mind a little bit right now that it's okay to question the things of God. I don't know if you've ever heard that before or wondered that. It is okay to question the things of God. That's okay. Because when he wants to make the impossible happen, that doesn't register with us. When he works outside of the realm of what we know and understand, it doesn't register with us. So we ask questions. Asking questions is okay. It's what we need to do to receive as much clarity and understanding as we can. Is that not what Mary did? Again, paraphrase, why me? And even beyond that, I've never been with a man. How in the world am I going to be able to give birth? So that's the realm of the impossible, the confusion. How can God use me? How is this going to happen? So we ask questions. So from the announcement, we move on then to talk about the acceptance. And we look at one verse for that. And the video kind of brought that to light. And she, she asked her questions. She tried to receive as much clarity as she could. But ultimately, she accepted the fact that God chose her. And what did she say? Look at verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. I want to read those words again. I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. That is a phrase we need to hold on to. We're going to look at that a little bit. We still may not fully comprehend what God wants to do, what he's going to do, why he would use us, <clears throat> but faith and trust in God should lead us to the very same conclusion that Mary came to. Whatever it may be, I don't get it. I don't understand. I'll try and understand, but here's what it comes down to. God, I belong to you. I'm your servant whatever you will. And if we have any small understanding of who God is and his love for us, then we can say those words confidently. Let it be to me according to your will. But let me give us one more example from scripture. One that is very, very similar to Mary's. <coughs> Excuse me. You don't have to turn there, but go to, <clears throat> if you want to, we're in Judges chapter 6. You don't have to turn there. We're not going to read a whole lot from it. But in Judges chapter 6, 7, and 8, we read of the story of a man by the name of Gideon. You may be familiar with this story. You may not be. 
But Gideon's story is very, very similar to Mary's. So let's take a look at that really quick. I'm going to read Judges chapter 6, verses 12 through 17. It says, The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Does that sound familiar to what he said to Mary? The Lord is with you, for you have found favor with God. What did he say to Gideon? The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, If now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak to me. We'll stop there. And it goes on, and, and, and we'll, we'll talk a little about a little bit more. But you hear the similarities in the story of uh, the, an angel appearing to, to Gideon, the Lord appearing to him, speaking on behalf of the Lord. He says, God is with you. And even Gideon's words, if I have found favor with God, same words used that Mary used. Or the angel spoke to Mary. But do you hear the questions Gideon asked? He didn't understand. As Mary was a young virgin girl in Nazareth of all places, here Gideon is saying, we're the smallest of tribes. We're the weakest of clans within this tribe. Who am I that you would choose me? And he's wondering, where's God been? Even questioning the things of God. God's been silent. We hear all these great stories of God taking our family, our Israelites, out of Egypt and everything that he had done for them. And the stories had been recounted and retold time and time again of God's goodness. And, and Gideon was there asking, where, where's this God? Why, why have we fallen into this trouble with Midian? So again, questioning is okay. Trying to get clarity and understanding is okay. There's nothing wrong with asking God for clarity. He wants to tell you. He wants to answer you. So Gideon goes on, and the, the, the famous part of Gideon's story is he asks God for a sign, and the angel gives him a sign. And he says, I need to ask one more time. So he throws out the fleece, and he says, make the fleece wet and nothing around it completely dry, and God does it. He said, oh, okay, I'm getting it, but let me do it one more time. I'm going to throw out the fleece again. This time, make the fleece dry and everything else around it wet. And God answers that. Okay, I'm, I'm getting it. I'll, I'll go ahead. And God gave him the opportunity to go down <coughs> excuse me, and, and take over the Midianites. But if you're too scared, go to this other town. And, and even God knew he's going to be scared. So God said, go ahead and go down to this other town. Talk to the men there. Find out what's going on. And then I'll give you the Midianites. And he goes down, and basically a vision is given to Gideon, and that's confirmation number four. Anybody feel like Gideon? God wants to use you. He's given something before you, and you're like, oh, I'm not too sure. Can you kind of prove that to me? Can you confirm that to me? It was confirmed through three acts from God's word himself, 
through two acts of understanding and a third vision through the words of somebody else. Gideon needed for confirmation, <laughs> which is fine. We all need that sometimes. But God said, if you're willing to be used, I will use you. And it doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, your history. I don't, God, again, paraphrase, maybe in Hebrew or Latin, I don't care. I can use you because I've chosen you. I've found favor with you. I see beyond your mistakes. I see beyond your past. And I'm with you. I found favor with you. We need to be reminded of that. We need to hear those words time and time again. But again, back to Mary's response. Let it be to me according to your word. <clears throat> if you're going to write something down, write this down. She didn't pray to change God's word. She prayed in submission to God's will. I'm going to say that again. I, I need you to write that down and reflect on that. Mary didn't pray to change God's word. She prayed in submission to God's will. Are you hearing that? How often do we want to pray and say, God, can you, can you do it a different way? Can you, can, you, can you change the circumstances so I'm a little more comfortable? Can we have it this way or that way? We want to change God's mind, change God's word through our prayers. But God says, no, I want to work. I just want you to be submissive to my will and know that I love you. I'm with you. And I'll take care of you. We need to pray more often in God's will, not to change his word. We may, may not be anything special in the eyes of the world. Say that again. We may not be anything special in the eyes of the world. You may have a tremendous amount of doubt, fear, or even a suspect history. But that doesn't matter. God chooses to use those exactly like you and me, like Gideon, like Mary, and the endless amount of other examples we can read in Scripture. We just need to recognize that what God wants to do and accomplish has nothing to do with us necessarily our power our strength our whatever we can do he just simply wants our submission and our obedience to his call because it's going to be for his glory not about us and our circumstance now mary gets a lot of glory by the church today She's been elevated because God chose her. Okay. But she didn't do that. She didn't accept that assignment to get anything, did she? She just said, okay, I am your servant. Let it be to me according to your will. Even 33 years later, her son, Jesus, would pray something very similar prior to his crucifixion. Didn't he in the garden? Did he pray to change his father's mind? No, he prayed in submission to his father's will. He said, not my will, but yours be done. So we've seen the announcement. We talked about the acceptance. So now let's get into what we're talking about this morning, the praise, the adulation. So there's a quick story that happens before Mary's song, and it's in verses 39 through 45. So let's read that in Luke chapter 1. 
says, in those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, <coughs> the baby in my womb <coughs> leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So you hear these words that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and even given a little bit of discernment. She knew who was before her and who was she talking about? Jesus. Did you catch the words? Who is it that my Lord would appear before me? She already knew and was in submission. <coughs> I'm sorry, guys. She was in submission to her Lord Jesus, and he wasn't even born yet. And some of that was confirmed by her own baby, John, who would become John the Baptist leaped inside of her at the presence of Jesus. So what do we read in that moment? In the presence of Jesus, we praise. Elizabeth did it. Unborn baby John did it. That adulation, that praise we need to have in the presence of Jesus, we rejoice. So now let's look at Mary's song of praise, what we'd call the adoration. In verses 46 through 55, we'll break this down as we read through it, but this, if you see in your Bible or if you're in your device, it might be called the Magnificat. Okay, that's basically just a Latin translation for to magnify. It's just a song of praise, song of glory, honor, to magnify the name of the Lord. That's what this section of scripture is in Luke chapter 1. In verse, I'm sorry, uh, in, in Psalm chapter 69, verse 30, it says, I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. <clears throat> so maybe that's where Mary's song of praise came because, again, uh, the, the good young Jewish girl that she was, she grew up reading the Psalms, reading the history and the accounts of who God was. She knew how to praise the Lord. And in fact, if you really study these words beyond what we're going to talk about today, she's referencing multiple passages in the Old Testament. She knew her scripture and she knew the God that she served. In verses 46 through 47, it says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. So with that, we rejoice, we praise God, because he saved our life. Mary understood that. You know, Mary's revered because of who she is and, and, the, and the call upon her life, but yet she recognized she still was a sinner in need of saving. Referring to God, her salvation, that's what Habakkuk 3.18 says, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Sinners need saving. We need to recognize that. Mary recognized that. Gideon recognized that. <coughs> Isaiah recognized that. Paul recognized that. Peter, James, John recognized that. And the list can go on. We need saving. That's why he's our Savior in, verses, in verse 48, 
says, For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. She's not elevating herself. She understands her position. Remember, she called herself the servant of God. <coughs> she's, talk, she's speaking from a place of humility. But understanding she's carrying the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. She knows other people will look upon her, and in that it caused her some humility. Not pride, not arrogance, not ego. <coughs> it is only in humility that we are open to a submissive spirit. In Psalm 138, verse 6, it says, For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. In Matthew 5, 5, Jesus' words, Blessed are the meek, <coughs> for they shall inherit the earth. This is why humility is one of our core values as a church. It's not because we want to give this appearance of humility. Oh, look at us, we're so humble. A lot of people will try and take it that way. No, it's a core value because it's who we're called to be. It is a position we need to take before the Lord. God will not use the proud. He'll expose the proud. But he uses and blesses the humble. <coughs> Verses 49 and 50. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. We praise God for who he is. He's mighty, holy, merciful. What does it say in Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17? The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. We will, he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Our God rejoices in us. He's happy with us. He loves you. That's why he chose you. That's why he found favor with you. <coughs> Isaiah chapter 57, verse 15. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, <coughs> whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. What does contrite mean? It means crushed, broken, full of remorse. Have we gotten to that place in, in who we are, in our sin? Have we been crushed? Verses 51 through 53. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. We serve a God who reverses the expected natural order of things. Did you catch that? He scatters the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He brings down the mighty from their thrones, and he exalts those of humble estate. 
He's filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He reverses the natural order. And he lifts us up if we find ourselves on our knees. He exalts us when we understand our true position in life. That without him we're nothing. That we have nothing. And he gives us everything that we need. That's the paradox of our faith in Christ. When we live humbly, our God lifts us up. Let's look at verses 54 through 55. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. So as we talked about, we need to remember who our God is. We need to remember who our God is. When we reflect on his goodness, remember what he's done for us, how he's cared for us. I'm not talking about studying Israel's history from Egypt. I'm talking about studying your own. Remember your own story, where you've been, what God's done for you, how he's provided for you. There are so many things that you can think on to remember God's goodness. So when we reflect on what God has done for our, in the past, for his people, for us, we can hold fast that he promises to remain true for us today. One theologian said, God's past faithfulness gives us hope for the future. Another scripture we're familiar with, Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans that are not going to harm you, but are going to give you a hope in the future. We need to hold on to that. Beautiful words spoken by a very young, in, in our terminology, possibly a teenage girl. We could, some say, liken Mary to maybe like 13, 14, 15 years old. To speak such words, she knew her God. She knew her position and accepted what God wanted to use her for, to bring the Savior of the world into this world. Pretty amazing. So how do we apply all this? What do we do with this song of praise? It's a good thing to just read. Helps us remember. What about personally? For us in our heart and our mind. There's one word I really want to pull out that we, we pull from Mary, from Gideon, from Jesus. It's a willing spirit. And I want to ask you a very important question. What is stopping you? Or what is causing you pause from living in that willing spirit that God has for you? What's keeping you from fulfilling the task he's given to you? I'm going to tell you this right now, and I want you to listen to me. God has given every single one of you in this room, every single one of you, regardless of age or status or position in life, he's given you something to do. So we need to ask ourselves, what's our pause? What's keeping us from living in that willingness, that obedience to how God wants to use us? So let's look at, and if you want to turn there or swipe there, 
Psalm chapter 51. And we'll use a portion of Psalm 51 to kind of bring us to a close this morning. So again, what's pausing your willing spirit to be used by God? In Psalm chapter 51, verses 10 through 11, it says, Create in me a clean heart. <coughs> Speaking of pause, I'll say that again. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Anybody sing the song as we read those words? You remember that song? That's where it comes from. But it says, create in me a clean heart, O Lord. Can we, can we focus on those words for a moment? <coughs> does it say fix my heart? It doesn't, does it? Essentially it's saying, give me a new one. A pure one. A right one. Because what does scripture tell us about our heart? Jeremiah 17, verse 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Desperately sick. So you may have heard this before, and if not, I'm going to say it nice and loud and very clear. When the world says, follow your heart, don't. Unless you know you've given that heart to the Lord. And you're following the Lord's will. Because that's the clean, pure heart that you were asking for, that we need. But otherwise, our human, our heart is sick. It's wicked. It's deceitful. It's deceptive. And so when we ask and we pray to create in me a clean heart, it says, open me up. Take out what's old, what's nasty and decrepit. Get rid of it and put in a brand new heart. This is a heart spiritual transplant we need in the Lord. Even Psalm 139 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me. That's the prayer we need to pray. Say, God, open up, look inside, see what's there, here and here. And if there's anything wrong, deceptive, wicked, or wrong, remove it in the name of Jesus. So we make room for a brand new heart a spirit that's willing to speak the words of Mary and say, I am your servant. Let it be to me according to your will. And then what? Go. Do what he calls you to do. And maybe you've, maybe you've gone long enough resting on your own laurels. You know that phrase? You're resting on your own laurels, meaning... You're kind of living your life based on what's been done already. What, what good you have had maybe in the past. And you're writing that out. It's like a, a famous actor saying, well, I won the, the, the Best Supporting Actor Award 35 years ago. I'm still top notch. No, because you have to prove yourself time and time again. Same thing like an athlete. That's actually where the term comes from because they gave old Olympic athletes back in the day uh, wreaths called laurels. And so when you win the prize, <coughs> people would carry that on and say, remember when I won this 20 years ago, 30 years ago? 
It's like an old dad saying, I can go out with the kids and play football today. I was a champion back in high school. And then you actually try and play because you think you're good. You think you still have the skills. You're resting on those old laurels, that old patch on your jacket that said, I was a league champ back in 94. I can play with these young bucks today. And then you hobble off the field humbled because you can't anymore because you haven't been working out. You haven't been stretching those muscles. We can't rest on our laurels. We need a new spirit, a fresh spirit calling from the Lord. Psalm 51 verse 12 says, Restore to me, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. So if you've just kind of been going along. Because God is good. I remember his goodness back in the day, and I'm just going to ride that wave as long as I can. No, we need that fresh renewal. You ever gotten into a dry season in your faith? Kind of felt dead, felt dry, felt just kind of ho-hum. You're just going through the motions. That's why this is saying now, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Let me have that happiness, that joy again of that fresh newness of life that you gave me. Let me have that feeling again. And uphold me with what? A willing spirit to do what you call me to do. So again, the words we read this morning, let it be to me according to your word. Not my will, but yours be done. And we'll even add Isaiah's in Isaiah 6 verse 8. He says, here I am. Send me, because I trust in you. God's Spirit lives in each of us, granting us his grace and power to do everything he calls us to do. In that alone, there should be no hesitation to move forward willingly, saying, God, use me for your glory, no matter what happens to me. Because Mary kind of falls out of the picture, doesn't she? Even though Joseph was used as Jesus' earthly dad, kind of fades away from history. So did Isaiah. So did Gideon. God's going to use you. But it's not about you and the longevity of your glory, your life. It's for God's glory, isn't it? It's to bring others an understanding of who God is and give them an opportunity to experience that freshness, that newness of life. But we need to keep that going for ourselves as well so we can give away what God has given us. So to finish out in Psalm 51, verses 13 through 15, it says, Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness, O Lord. Open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. This is why we have spent a month or so or more on the worthiness of our God, the praise we give to him because of who he is, period. So I hope this has been <coughs> a good reminder, helpful, to come back into that place of praise and worship.
because we serve an amazing, mighty, holy, merciful, forgiving, gracious God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray.